The Revolt of 2020 by Patrick Johnston. Copyright 2011 by Dr. Patrick Johnston. Read by Daniel Meyer. By kind permission of the author, this reading of The Revolt of 2020 is available for free distribution. Stay tuned at the end of this reading for more information and links to additional resources. Chapter 25, Los Angeles, California. Mohammed was livid as he paced back and forth in the jail cell. Raja, who was in the cell with him, tried to comfort him. It had been a week and they had not yet been released, nor provided a bail option. The attorney said he'd take care of it, brother, Raja said in Arabic. Mohammed cursed in response and turned on his heels to face Raja. This ruins everything, he responded angrily in his foreign tongue. Calm down, brother, Raja whispered. This is to be expected after the successes of phase one. Our identification documents were forgeries. Be patient. We will be freed soon enough. Austin, Texas The office of the Chief Justice of the Texas Supreme Court was buzzing with activity as soon as the doors opened at 8 a.m. The secretary picked up the phone on the fifth ring and the president's chief of staff introduced herself. This is Dina Halucci calling on behalf of the president. May I speak to Judge Netter, please? He's in a meeting and asked not to be disturbed. The president of the United States would like to speak to him. Tell him that this regards an urgent executive proposal. Yes, Mrs. Halucci, just a moment. The half-dozen attorneys who were meeting with the judge stepped out of his office and he tapped a button on his computer. President Brighton, he smiled as the president's face lit up his computer screen. Hello, Judge Netter. What occasion, I wonder, has brought me this great honor of speaking to you, he asked with a broad smile, knowing the answer to the question. Oh, don't tease me. You want me to rule the Texas Life Bill unconstitutional? As quickly as possible. You're late on the punch, Madam President. I was just in a meeting with attorneys and representatives from Planned Parenthood, the National Organization for Women, W-O-M-Y-N, and the National Abortion Rights Action League. Please extend my greetings to them. Will do. It'll be signed before lunch, Madam President. I knew I could count on you, said Brighton. I do pray that you will consider me for one of your Supreme Court appointments. If you do this and it sticks, you'll rise to first on my list. If it sticks, of course it will stick. Henry Adams' threats to defy the judiciary are all hot air, Madam President. He's a religious nut, but he's not an insane religious nut. I'll sign my decision and release it to the press within the hour. When Henry Adams learned of the three-judge panel's decision to rule the Texas ban on euthanasia and abortion unconstitutional, he was not surprised. He and Robert Boniface had already prepared for this. Governor Adams called an emergency cabinet meeting. What are our options, Governor Adams asked the former director of the American Center for Law and Justice, Jason Stratton, whom he had chosen as his new attorney general. He braced himself for the expected advice from his staff to retreat, but he thought it wise to let them get it off their chest. Counted as a political victory for the pro-life cause that you were able to pass the legislation in the first place, Stratton responded with a warm smile. I think this might indicate an even more conservative shift in Texas. Predictable, Henry Adams thought with a frown. Uh, Governor Adams, said the lieutenant governor as he read a text on his cell phone, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I have a request from Governor Benjamin Boswell from Montana to enter into our cabinet meeting by way of the web. He made some schedule adjustments and is able to join us. Ben, of course. We'd be honored. Boniface turned on the wall monitor with the remote control. We welcome you, Governor Boswell. The Montana governor smiled. Thanks for letting me join you. Montana is walking in your footsteps, Henry, and we've got half a dozen states nearby watching Texas closely to decide how we are going to respond to the federal government's abuses. Don't follow, Adams suggested. Join us arm in arm. Have you banned abortion and euthanasia yet? We've got that legislation cooking, Governor Adams. Well, that means people are still being murdered on your watch, people you were obligated to protect. You'd do well to protect those slated for slaughter first and worry about the lost liberties of the survivors later. If God's upset with you because of abortion in your jurisdiction, then Brighton's the least of your worries. 
Boswell nodded soberly. I'll take that as from the Lord. Where were we, Adams asked, glancing at Boniface. Boniface pointed at the Attorney General. Jason Stratton? It was a brave attempt, Governor Stratton spoke with a breathy sigh. You gained the admiration of your base, but we need to accept the judge's decision. We'll appeal it to the Supreme Court if you want, but the court will certainly rule against us. And if they did, that would just strengthen the Roe v. Wade decision even more, Markison warned. That would be counterproductive and actually make it more difficult to protect the unborn later on. That's been Reet to Life's position all along, the only Catholic on the governor's cabin interjected. A statewide abortion ban that gets overturned by the Supreme Court just makes it more difficult to succeed with an abortion ban whenever we do get a pro-life majority on the high court. At this stage of the game, Texas Reet to Life would be against an appeal. I don't care what Reet to Life thinks. I will not be ruled by pragmatism, Adams reminded them. The preborn will continue to be butchered if we respect tyrannical judges. You can ignore it, Robert Boniface interjected with confidence, as the governor knew he would. He wasn't trying to convince the governor who was already committed to the idea. He was trying to convince the cabinet. Disregard the judicial panel's decision because of its fundamental lawless and tyrannical nature. Where can I get me a Robert Boniface, Governor Boswell responded with a wide grin. You can't just ignore it, Terry Markison blurted out, exasperated as his gaze shifted back and forth between the two governors. A formal appeal to the Supreme Court is unnecessary for such an evil decision, Boniface argued. If the three judges said we should murder our wives, would we appeal that to the Supreme Court? No, we'd put them on trial. Governor Adams, we should ignore their lawless decisions and recriminalize abortion, period. Attorney General Jason Stratton rolled his eyes. That is so ignorant, Mr. Boniface. We have a constitutional separation of powers. Ignoring the courts is unconstitutional. How can ignoring a blatantly unconstitutional judicial decision be unconstitutional, Boniface responded. The Attorney General stretched out his hands and exclaimed, Of course it's... The government shall not deprive an individual of life or liberty without due process, the governor raised his voice over Stratton's. I thought that was in the Constitution. The Attorney General appeared flustered. I agree with you, but in our separation of powers, judges decide constitutionality. You have to have judges sentence those who violate your anti-abortion law. Judges are not going to punish those who do what is constitutionally protected by higher courts. Governor Adams, said Boniface, you are the chief executive officer for the state of Texas. Outlaw abortion and euthanasia in your jurisdiction. It's that simple. It's your right, your duty, and you have the power, authorized by the state constitution and the Bible, to do it. I have constitutional authority over the Texas Guard and the police force, Governor Adams stated with a nod, and we do have some pro-life judges who believe abortion is murder. Impeaching the child-killing judges is a more drawn-out process. We could arrest them as accomplices, Boniface suggested, then we wouldn't have to impeach them. Stratton couldn't believe his ears. He was speechless. Oh, please, this is crazy, Terry Markison exclaimed. What you're proposing won't stop abortion. It will just push abortion underground again. Women could get hurt obtaining abortions in unsterile environments. That'd be good, said the governor, evoking a predictable, disbelieving gasp from Markison and several others on his cabinet. I want to make it as hard as possible to kill babies. The state has no interest in keeping murder safe and sterile. Are you going to put women on trial, Markison asked, because that's what this comes down to. Of course we're going to put them on trial, Boniface responded. Even the president of National Read to Life called that notion absurd, the only Catholic on the cabinet asserted. Well, they need to come to grips with the fact that abortion kills a human being, Adams remarked with a strained voice. Texas is going to show the other 49 states how to resist tyranny and govern rightly. The adjutant general of the Texas State Guard had held his peace to this point, agreeing with the governor in principle, yet sympathetic with the pragmatic considerations of the detractors. The conversation was evolving to the point that his consent to the governor's agenda might be the most significant factor to determine the outcome. The Texas National Guard, General McIntosh stated, slowly and with purpose, is under the jurisdiction of the federal government, whether we like it or not. The six-foot-two-inch tall general had a well-trimmed brown beard under a tan face and crew cut. 
When there is a conflict between the state authority and federal authority, the orders of the commander-in-chief take precedence. That is correct, said Attorney General Stratton, as if the general was saying what he was thinking, yet unable to eloquently articulate. Governor Adams and Robert Boniface had known it would come to this. Adams turned to the general and asked the question that he had prepared for just this moment. Would you side with your governor and defend innocent Texans from being killed, or would you aid the killers? He paused and let the scope of the question sink in. Short of retiring, General McIntosh, those are your only options. General McIntosh was stumped. I would, I would obey the law, sir. It's what I have to do. It's my duty. Which law? The law that says do no murder, or the law that says it's okay to kill your baby? Everybody stopped breathing for a few seconds. All eyes were fastened on General McIntosh. The 59-year-old general, whose suit was decorated with medals from every battle America had fought since he was 19 years of age, was deep in thought. You would actually give the order for me to resist the federal government with force in order to protect the preborn? Boniface reached over and put his hand on the general's shoulder. Thomas Jefferson said the care of human life and happiness and not its destruction is the first and only object of good government. Protecting innocent Texans is the first and only object of our state government. General McIntosh just sat there thinking. It was a moment of weighing priorities and recalibrating the conscience. It's a simple question, General, and not difficult to answer if your priorities are in order, Governor Adams stated. To whom do you give your allegiance? God Almighty in the Constitution, which is the lawful law of the land, or the forces that want to slaughter innocent Texans? If federal troops invaded, Terry Markison interjected, his irritation evident in his voice, it would not be because they wanted to kill Texans. It would be because they wanted to keep the peace and put down insubordination. Semantics, Henry Adams said without taking his gaze from the general. Now be quiet and let General McIntosh answer. Adams waved his thick hand toward his budget whiz as if telling him that his opinion didn't matter right now. Terry shut his mouth and turned his gaze to the painting of Sam Houston on the wall. To whom will you submit, General? To God and the Constitution or to tyranny? After a long pause, the general took a deep breath and scratched his head. I don't know. I mean, I just... He stuttered as his face reddened. I do believe that abortion is murder. I believe the president has gone beyond her constitutional authority, and our balance of powers has failed to call her to account. I appreciate your courage in trying to protect the preborn and the elderly and the handicapped, and I believe it's within your right to do it. But you're asking me... You're asking me... We could fire him, said Boniface. Replace him with a general who would promise allegiance to God and the Constitution. No, the general blurted out. If you word it that way, you make me sound like an infidel. Governor Adams folded his hands on the table and looked into the general's eyes. If you will help the feds kill babies, General, you are. If you're going to fight us in our attempt to do justice, then we need to know now so that we can replace you with someone whose commitment to the Constitution and to divine law is a priority. I like you, General, but I like God more. I'll fire you in a heartbeat. That won't be necessary, Governor. The General shifted uneasily in his chair. I haven't been publicly interrogated like this since boot camp. He chuckled nervously and clenched his hands in his lap. Do you realize what will happen if you make that decision? Are you willing to pay that cost? Will you force the people of Texas to pay it? I am committed to do right despite any cost. Do you, sir, realize the implications if you were to disobey me in such a scenario? You would be siding with the murderers of innocent children against their defender. How is history going to judge you when they finally look upon abortion in America as we now look upon the Nazi Holocaust? Will they see you as a Dietrich Bonhoeffer who defied the German authorities and risked his life to stop the Holocaust? Or will you be seen as the soldiers who followed orders and shoved Jews into burning ovens? I know you, General McIntosh, to be a man of Christian virtue. The question before you now, General McIntosh, if we break it down to its lowest common denominator, is not whether you will render allegiance to me or to the President, but whether you will render allegiance unto God. A pause. I see. Do you realize what you're asking him to do? Terry Markison asked the governor with a wide-eyed dread that bordered on hysteria. 
You would order him to kill American soldiers. American soldiers! The governor ignored the member of his cabinet who was rapidly becoming a thorn in his side, and he kept his eyes fixed on the adjutant general, who was still deep in thought. After a moment of quiet introspection, General McIntosh's eyes rose and met the governor's. Sir, I think I could in good conscience stand with you. How could I not? With my faith, this is where the rubber hits the road. Governor Adams smiled broadly and leaned back into his chair. Very well. And fire on federal troops and federal agents? Are you crazy? Terry Markison shook his head in disbelief. Governor, you're going to make our entire state a state of traitors and criminals. The federal government will not tolerate this. They will blow us off the map before they let us defy them. Might doesn't make right, Terry, said Rob Boniface. Gain doesn't determine morality. Decisions such as these must be made in the light of judgment day. But might does win wars, Mr. Markison raised his voice and leaned into the press secretary. Cursed is the man whose strength is in the arm of the flesh, the governor responded by quoting the scripture and then slamming his palm against the table for emphasis. David the shepherd boy would never have slung a stone at Goliath if he was so busy fretting about the other Philistine soldiers behind the giant. One battle, one giant, one stone at a time. You're in fantasy land, Terry Marcuson mocked them. If a conflict ensues between Little Texas and the greatest military might in the world... Little Texas, General McIntosh balked. We have the strongest guard with more firepower than any other state guard. Our citizens are well-armed and... There'll be no negotiations, Marcuson exclaimed, raising his voice over the generals. There'll be no amnesty. There'll be no miracles and no giants crashing to the ground. We're going to waste away in a pit of anarchy, bombs, and bloodshed with disease and famine for the survivors. Not if we are on the right side and God's fighting for us, Boniface responded. Does God fight for martyrs? Mr. Marcuson snapped, temporarily silencing what he judged to be their reckless enthusiasm about a conflict with the federal government. Do you want to make Texas a martyr for your anti-abortion cause? Do you want to secede and launch us into an unwinnable war to make a point? How many lives will you destroy in the process? How can you keep a straight face in your shameless promotion of rebellion and treason? Dropping those questions was like dropping bombs on all the in-betweeners in the cabinet who preferred peace with legal abortion over humiliating defeat in a worthy cause. We're not out to start a war, Governor Adams assured them. We're not fighting for the right to govern the United States, but the power to govern ourselves with the Constitution and the laws of God. If violence begins, it will be because the federal government invades to murder Texans. When that happens, we will defend the innocent with as much force as is necessary. Mrs. Brighton is not God. To God alone do we owe unconditional allegiance. If Mrs. Brighton wants to disarm Texans, incarcerate pro-lifers and Bible believers, and slaughter the preborn and elderly inside our border, then a divorce, as devastating as that would be, is still the lesser of two evils. Why? Because there is a God, and war with the entire world is preferred over war with Him. You speak of unwinnable wars, Mr. Marcus, and Boniface extended an index finger toward his ideological opponent who sat across from him. No war is unwinnable if God fights for us. Amen, said Montana Governor Ben Boswell, smiling broadly by way of his encrypted internet connection. Do you gentlemen know where this line of reasoning ends? When you begin to buck tyranny and assert your natural right to be free, do you know where it leads? All were silent as they contemplated the Montana governor's question, their eyes fastened on his face on the monitor on the wall. Secession and war. He is no fool, said Governor Adams, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. Their commitment to that truth would be tested in less than an hour. Thank you for listening to this reading from the Revolt of 2020. This chapter was read by Daniel Meyer and engineered by Park Leacock. The Revolt of 2020 and its sequels, The American Tyranny of 2020 and The Uncivil War of 2020, are available for purchase at docjohnstonnovels.com. That's docjohnstonnovels.com.
O Lord, turn us back to you. Forgive our sins and heal our land.